hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Welcome to the Six Podcast. This is the host of the machine, Travel Petrucci. A lot to talk about today. First of all, I guess I have to mention the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. Their fans, people who have lived and died, <laughs> waiting 108 years for that team to finally fucking do it. Finally, over a century of waiting, just hanging around. <laughs> just hanging around. Uh, so congrats to Chicago Cubs fans. That includes Tom Morello, one of my all-time favorite guitarists. Certainly a guitar hero in his own right. Um, it's funny because I never watch baseball, and I just decided at the last minute, oh, I wonder how the series is going in the Cleveland and Chicago World Series. And I thought it was game six. So I was like, well, let's see how they're doing in game six. I, I just go, I check to see how the game is doing, how the game is going. And it's the top of the 10th, tied six all. And I was like, holy, sh you know, this is dramatic. You know, if you're a Cubs fan, you're just, I know the feeling when you're a sports fan and you're just dying you just can't handle, your nerves just can't take it, especially if it's a team that waited 108 years to get to that point. I mean, that's a lot of nerves, a lot of pressure. So I figured, I know a little bit about the, you know, the Chicago Cubs are famous in American popular culture for, the, for that reason, that they've never been able to do it, which is really odd for a team, especially for a big city, that they couldn't even, you know, even with money behind them couldn't do it so there I am watching it top of the 10th never watched a baseball game since I was like 12 or 13 um, I was at the final I was actually at the game in the stadium when the Blue Jays won the World Series when Joe Carter hit the home run um, that's probably the last time I watched baseball <laughs> I'm a terrible fan obviously but I was 12 what did I know so um, I haven't watched the game in like 20 years and so over 20 years. So um, so to be watching this Cubs game at the top of the 10th and it's six all, I literally just go, well, let me just see what's going on. I'm going to watch the rest of this. They, the Chicago Cubs score two runs literally as I start watching it. I was like, oh, this is a pretty interesting game. They score two runs. Quickly after that, the inning finishes, and then the Cleveland Indians, which is a horribly offensive name that I'm trying to avoid using. Um, Adam McKay has a funny joke about that, that he's going to call them the Omaha Indians. No, no actually, I'm, I'm totally botched that joke. You have to go on Adam McKay's Twitter page to see the joke. It was pretty funny. But... Um, but yeah, so Cleveland, with their offensive name, lost the World Series final 
Um, although at the time I thought I was watching game six. So I'm just like casually watching the biggest game in Chicago baseball history. And, and it just so happens I happened to watch them win for the five minutes that I decided to watch baseball. <laughs> and as soon as they win, they were like, that's it. The, the Cubs win. The Cubs win. You know, like Harry Carey, Cubs win. And, uh, and I was like, what? I, I thought this was game six. And it's like, no, I just, I happened to turn on and watch right when they win the, their most historic victory in over a century. So what are the odds? I don't know. I don't know. But pretty, pretty, uh, pretty unique, I guess. So yeah, the Cubs win. I wish I could do a Harry Carey impression. Hey, what's going on? Anyway, but that's pretty cool. Um, it definitely sucks. There's a lot of suffering. Anybody who is a sports fan knows what it feels like. There's a lot of suffering involved. Uh, that's sort of part of the fun, though, of following a team. You just you you get sad when they lose and then you get really there's like this euphoria that happens when they win and the cubs i mean the fans they're going to be happy for a while um but yeah uh the other thing there yeah speaking of twitter actually i wanted to talk about twitter do you ever find it weird if you have a twitter page here's one of the things i find really fucking weird is when people follow me on twitter and then like a week they wait about a week to two weeks, they wait, hoping that I've forgotten about them, and then they stop following me. They'll, like, literally unfollow me. And I notice it because the number of followers I have isn't really big. It's, like, 600 and something. So it's noticeable when the number changes because it's such a small number. So it's, like, 630 people. If in the next week I'm down to 627, you know, I notice it. And it's always, it's always the same thing. It's some weird person following me and then hoping that I keep following them and that I don't notice. So that when you go to their Twitter page, it looks like they have all these fans and that they don't follow these people back. But really, it's just they followed like maybe 10,000 people. And then like, you know, and then let's say it'll look like they're following 2,000. So it looks like they have like a fan base when really it's just 8,000 times they've followed somebody and then secretly unfollowed them, you know, two, three weeks later just to kind of, you know, trick you, you know. But I'm just going to hear his say I'm on to you. <laughs> it, it's, it just really annoys me because I don't like pettiness. I don't like when people act petty. Um, you know... I had I had to cut out friends in my life, people that used to be my friends, because I can't stand petty human behavior. You know, let's just, why can't we all be adults when we interact with each other? Why is it like sometimes like pulling teeth to get people to be the bigger person in a situation? But th there's just something about people sometimes that there's, there are people out there that are just so, just small, you know, and kind of, yeah, there's no better word than petty. I wish there was more. There was more. I, I wish I had more descriptive words, you know, at at my um, disposal. I'll just give you an example. Um, I knew somebody who, when they would go on a vacation and they'd come back from a vacation, they would buy gifts for their friends, including me, 
But instead of buying like, you know, roughly the same kind of gift for everybody, he would buy his gifts hierarchically, meaning he would get very hierarchical about the gifts and the gifts would reflect the hierarchy and that he wanted in the friendship. So it's like, well, I'm better friends with this guy. So he's going to get, well, it's not even that he's better friends. It's like, imagine you're all friends and you all hang out with each other equally. And then he comes back from a trip and he starts to give out gifts that are one is better than the other deliberately. Do you know what I mean? Like how kind of, what kind of petty do you have to be to do something like that? Do you know what I mean? So I'm going to give you a $100 gift. I'm going to give you a $75 gift. I'm going to give this guy a $50 gift. Do you know what I mean? Like, how sad is that? And I just remember being there just going like, what? You know, what is this? Like, what did I sign up for? Like, what's wrong with me that I'm, you know, signing up for this? You know, uh, I just, just why do people have to be petty? Why can't they just grow the fuck up? Just be an adult and, and treat everybody with a kind of a certain level of equality, you know. I get some sense of proportionate equality, like um, if you're a brain surgeon, maybe you shouldn't get paid the same as, um, you know, uh, a janitor, let's say. Um, or, uh, you know, although not to knock janitors, I guess. I'm trying to think of a... Uh, a skill that a, a job that requires absolutely no skill whatsoever um maybe being rupert murdoch <laughs> uh but there's just certain jobs that i can see them being more valuable they require certain more work and then so as a result there's a bit of proportionate um response or proportionate equality so to speak but like to be petty and, and count the dollars and be like, this person is going to get a $100 gift. This person is going to get 75 This next person is going to get $50. you are going to get $58 and you're going to get 54 Like, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's just so sad. And I, it's, if you find yourself in those situations, you're, you know, don't waste your time. Just get out of that. That like... There's no amount of talking that you can do or communicating that you can do that will change somebody's pettiness because people don't admit that they're that petty. No one says, yeah, you know what? I'm a petty human being. No one says that. No one signs up for that. Now, speaking of petty, one of the masters uh, of poking fun at pettiness is Larry David. And one of my all-time favorite shows is Curb your enthusiasm, and I think some of the best comedy ever written was on that show, partly because he was so good, Larry David is so good at poking fun at this, at that shallow stupidity that human beings have towards each other, where they fight over the dumbest things, things of absolutely no consequence, you know, but people's egos are so invested in, this, in, the, in just the most meaningless minutiae you know, they're just constantly fighting and being territorial about the stupidest things. Um, and I think one of the his best sort of like foil on that show, Larry David's, the best foil for Larry, Larry David on that show is uh, Richard Lewis, one of my favorite comedians. And um, what was really cool, something cool happened to me last week. L Richard Lewis actually messaged me 
directly on through Twitter, but he messaged me directly, so it's almost like a private email, basically. I don't know why he did it, and I'm having trouble, like, sleeping, and I, as you know, I have two herniated discs, so I'm awake at weird hours of the day, and at night, I'm having trouble, uh, I just, from having suffered through the two herniated discs, and I had other health issues this year, which is very odd for me, but, you know, whining aside, um, my my sleeping has been really affected, so now I don't sleep normal hours. It's very irregular, and I'm I'm I don't really know what to do with it yet. I got to deal with that at some point. But anyway, I ended up being awake and um, relatively early. And Richard Lewis is tweeting at an hour that I think a lot of people are sleeping. So he he tweets something about that he's doing a stand-up show in Los Angeles and he puts posts a photo of Muhammad Ali and I'm the first one of the first people to favorite the tweet because I'm bored and not doing anything so I'm on Twitter you know like when I was in the emergency room I had nothing to do because I was just in agony and there's nothing else to do so I might as well be on Twitter while I'm in the ER so the same thing is happening I'm just sitting around doing nothing kind of half asleep like in that you know psychological purgatory where you're like tired too tired to do anything but like uh but not tired enough that you're gonna fall asleep you're just in this shitty you know purgatory no man's land where you can't really do anything so i'm on twitter wasting my time i favorite richard lewis's tweet (laughs) and he messages me directly and at first i can't even figure it out i'm like i'm looking at my phone and it just says richard lewis messaged you and i'm like what what the hell is this I look down and all he writes to me, it's almost poetic. It's like a haiku practically, even shorter. He just says, stay authentic. And I, I, it took me a, like I had to do a double take basically. And I was like, what the hell? Like one of the greatest comedians of all time just messaged me directly and gave me really the one message that I need to hear, which is stay authentic. So, you know, talking to celebrities is funny because you don't want to be too um um what's the word maybe genuflect like you don't want to be too uh excessive in your admiration for them because it makes them uncomfortable but at the same time if you try to play too cool and too distant and aloof you might come across as somebody that doesn't appreciate that they took the time to message you you kind of want to go whatever you want to go in the middle whatever that means I just think he's one of the greatest so I told him that and he said uh I'm not the greatest I'm just passionate and uh I said you and Larry are brilliant together can't wait for the next season of Curb and he said solid basically a legend you know what I mean which is what Richard Lewis says he's a comedic legend what a legend. You know, you have to say it in an English accent. What a ledge. What a legend. Uh, which is basically what I wanted to tell him. What a legend. So that was pretty cool. That happened to me last week. And it, it was so timely. It was such a unique... That guy might have a cosmic sense of timing. Because I'm I'm in the middle of meetings with directors and producers. Um, 
in terms of getting this script that I wrote made. And, you know, I'm meeting some pretty cool directors. And um, one in particular I met, which was pretty awesome. And um, so I'm kind of doing this for the first time. So I'm meeting all these important people. And there's a lot of money writing on this film being made. You know, and the budget is going to be... Our goal is a is a million dollar budget for this film, so um, so there's a lot at stake and and for me it's the first time I'm doing a lot of this stuff. So I'm in the meetings. This is literally the Richard Lewis messages me on the first week of the, of my first meetings with directors talking about my script. So to hear a message like "Stay Authentic" really actually mattered. And the interesting thing was. I, I'd given my movie sales pitch to a few people. You know, you basically have to do a synopsis. You got to kind of break down your movie in a very simple chunk so that people can kind of get an idea of what your movie's about. And But in a way, if you do it, you're basically putting yourself in a vulnerable position because when you give your sales pitch in a small chunk, you risk people saying, well, I don't like it, you know, or I like it. So um, one of the interesting things was um, I tried really hard to give a movie sales pitch in a more controlled manner and in a rehearsed manner. And, uh, and it just didn't work. And, I, and I, I could see it in this was one woman I was talking to and I could see it in her eyes. Well, hold on a second. I apologize for that noise. It was, uh, I didn't realize where the noise was coming from. Okay, that's fucking taken care of. So anyway, where was I? I was, yeah, giving a sales pitch, sales pitch to this woman. Sales peach. <laughs> I was also giving a sales peach. And, uh, and I could see it in her eyes that she wasn't really completely sold, you know? And I tried a couple more times, and each time it just didn't. It felt rehearsed. I felt like I was trying to do it according to the rules of how you do a, a movie pitch, a synopsis kind of thing. And then finally, I'm in a, I'm, I meet with this director who didn't even ask for the treatment, didn't even ask for the synopsis, and I was immediately like, "This person's cool. I already like this person." We meet, and I just give the movie pitch basically how it felt to me how the idea came to me how how uh i was brought into the project and then how that turned into a story that i wrote about and it was a lot less formal it was against technically against the rules of what i read online of how you're supposed to do it but it really came from an authentic place and i wasn't even thinking of richard lewis or anything like that i just it just inevitably happened and um, and that was my best pitch. That was the best moment in terms of how to um, win people over. Is is there is something about authenticity? And I said it in the first episode of my podcast. In the very first episode, the importance of authenticity. There's something about authenticity that cuts through layers that um, sort of rehearsed speeches just don't do. I don't know what it is other than I think it's that most people don't 
speak in an authentic manner. They speak in a more rehearsed way um, according to what they think is expected of them. And it forces them to say things they don't, that their heart isn't really in, isn't, or they're forced to say things that their heart isn't really behind. So, um, so it was a really cool experience to have Richard Lewis give you that, you know, almost haiku like one-liner and, um, and that it's proven to be true. Well, hopefully proven to be true. At least it worked. At least my sales pitch worked. We don't know if this director is going to even like my script. They might think it's a uh, pile of shit. And, uh, you know, you never really know how people are going to respond to your writing. Uh, so far, the responses have been positive. But, you know, you just don't know. I think it's my best work. So, you know, I'd stand behind it. Anyway, so that was pretty cool. So Twitter, you get some bullshit on Twitter with people following you, that pettiness of people following you um, and then unfollowing you and they think that they're tricking you. Um, but you also get every once in a while someone who's brilliant might message you and say the right thing at the right time. You know, it can happen. So that's pretty cool. But speaking of uh, pettiness, I wanted to give you a clip of what I was talking about, which is Richard Lewis and Larry David at their finest. So um, that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. You stole my uh, outgoing message on my answering machine. What are you, crazy? I hate when people fucking steal my outgoing messages. <laughs> you, I remember calling you. You don't even know what you're talking about. You are you so You have my base. same answering machine outgoing message, and it that's, bugs that's me. That's my message. You I didn't get that message. You wrote it in Paris. You wrote it in Paris. I, I had that message seven years ago. Bullshit. Seven years ago. You know what? I, was, I wrote no. it seven and a half years ago.